You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Man, y'all ready to dive in and get busy? I want to share a Thanksgiving story with you. Um, so, <laughs> we went to my mother-in-law's for Thanksgiving. How every good story starts, right? Says nobody. At one time, my mother-in-law's, right? Nobody says that. Uh, went, went to my mother-in-law's for uh, Thanksgiving lunch on Thursday. And uh, it was good. You know, it's taken me 16 years to get her right. And I finally have. She's doing better. And she cooked this humongous spread and... Everybody got their plate full, and we're sitting around this big table, and, you know, right before we said the blessing, right before we get ready to start eating, she says, hey, before we eat, I think it'd be cool to go around the table and have everybody say one thing they're thankful about. Pretty cool, right? I mean, nothing wrong with that. It's always good to remember why you're thankful. And so, Teely went first, and she said, I'm thankful for my family. Of course, she's just sucking up because her birthday's Friday. It was cool. And then Tessa, she was thankful for her big sister. And her American Girl doll. Then it got to Rebecca. And Rebecca said, I hate you. Why'd you do this to me? I hate being pregnant. I wish this baby would come out. So we skipped over her. And it went to me. And I was thankful. Because for the first time in 16 years, I've been married to my wife. Been with my wife. My mother-in-law cooked three desserts. See, y'all laugh. Because you're used to, you come from a normal family where people cook plenty of food, okay? My mother-in-law might weigh buck ten soaking wet. I, for the longest time, I didn't think they'd believe in eating. But she cooked three different pies, and it was incredible because I got a slice of each of them. It was unbelievable. It was like Christmas. I was thankful for that. Now, I'm joking, but I think it's important for us to, to remember to be thankful because I'm going to be honest with you. This morning, I didn't sleep at all last night. Not because I had to preach. I love preaching. Preaching doesn't bother me. But I didn't sleep at all last night. I don't know why. But I got up this morning and had a headache. I've had a cold I'm trying to get over. I was tired. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to come preach today. And I had this, I had this message prepared way in advance. So I knew what I was going to be talking about, but I did not want to preach today. And, and unless you've been called to preach, you, this may not make sense to you, but God's notorious for showing up in the zero hour. And this morning, I got in my truck because we drove separate today. And I was coming up 220. And God does what he always does. And I was sitting here, and I'm just like, gosh, I really don't feel like this. I really don't feel like preaching. You know, I hope Rebecca goes in labor so I don't have to do this. You know, and my head was hurting. And I was stopped up, you know. Man, right in the middle of that, just a sense of peace came over me. And I was reminded of something that Matt has said many times from this platform. But what y'all don't know is in the early days of vintage, when our staff would meet in the basement of his parents' house, because there was just, just a few of us, six of us to be exact, right? We would meet, and he would say this, same line over and over again. He would say, man, I'm going to be honest with y'all, God didn't move me and my family from South Carolina, North Carolina, just to start another church. He brought me here to start a movement of God. 
And this morning, in the midst of my self-pity and on the way here to do something that God has called me to do, I firmly believe that, he reminded me, boy, this ain't about you. This is about my movement and where it's going. And man, you talk about getting fired up. By the time I pulled in the parking lot, I'd already preached two sermons to myself. It was awesome. And what I want you guys to understand is, church, <laughs> we're not about playing church. Hey, if you showed up today to check your box, to ease your conscience, and to make yourself feel good, please leave. Because that ain't what we're about. We're about a movement of God, and we need people that are movers. Jesus said, hey, if you'll believe and you'll have faith, you can move mountains. He said that. Read it, read it. It's in right there in the gospel. You could say to this mountain, be plucked up and throw it into the sea. What would happen, church, if we had that kind of faith? Church, we're here to start a movement of God. And let me tell you something. Just like God reminded me this morning, I'm going to remind you, we ought to be thankful that the mission and vision of Venice Church has never changed. That is who we are. We're here to see a movement of God. Yeah, it matters. We care about the butts and the seats because those are souls, amen? But man, what about the butts and the seats caring about the butts that ain't in the seats yet? That's how you start a movement of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. The book of Acts chapter 17. I'm going to talk a little bit about the first half of this chapter, and then the bulk of the message is going to be in the second half of the chapter. But I want you guys to understand that, that we're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul. And Paul was a master at telling people about Jesus. He was unbelievable at it. And that's what we're going to focus on today, the way he presented the gospel message. Now, you need to understand, as someone who is a part of a movement of God, your two most important tools are your conversations with people and your relationships with people. Those are the two most important things for sharing the gospel. If you don't talk to people, you're not going to share too much of the gospel. If you don't have a relationship with people, if you don't show people you care about them, you're not going to share the gospel too much. Okay? And so what I need you to understand is, today, I hope I can share something with you that will help us take on the mindset of the Apostle Paul to know how to talk to people about Jesus and love on people enough to where they want to accept what Jesus has to offer. That's what this is all about, okay? You got me? Y'all ready? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are. God, we know that you don't, you don't leave things to chance. Nothing catches you by surprise. God, the very people that are sitting here today are here because you wanted them here. God, you do things with intention. And God, because you have a purpose for each and every one of us. God, that movement of God that started so many years ago, God, may it continue to build. May that fire continue to rage. May it consume all of us. May it consume all of Randleman, all of North Carolina and the world. God, may we be on fire for you. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth that you have in store for us. God, cleanse my heart. 
and help me to say the words that you've given me to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 17 starts out with Paul doing what Paul always does. Paul enters into a city. The first thing he does, he goes to the synagogue and he starts preaching Jesus. I love Paul. Paul was a disruptor. Okay? He wasn't, he wasn't this guy that was warm and, and, and cozy and fuzzy and, 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 and massaged people's temples and squirted rose juice on them and told them how great they were. He went in and told truth. But he also told it with grace. And in the beginning of, of chapter 17, Paul has preached the gospel. And the people that have heard it, the Jews, did not like it. They didn't agree with it. They became agitated and aggravated by it, so much so that they hired a group of hitmen to search out Paul and Silas and some of the others. They couldn't find Paul and Silas, and the Bible tells us they went to the home of a man named Jason, who was a Christian, and they were looking for Paul and Silas, and they couldn't find him there, so they grabbed Jason and threw him out in the street. We're going to rough him up. And they say this phrase in verse 6. In the NIV, this is what it says. It says, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. These Jewish priests were saying, the men that have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Talking about Paul and the rest of the Christians. I love the way it says it in the King James. It says, these that have turned the world upside down have now come here. You ever thought about that? Christianity made such an impact when it came in. People referred to it as something that would turn the world upside down. Church, what if we had a mindset here of turning the world upside down for Jesus? What if we had a mindset of turning Randleman upside down for Jesus? I think it can be done. You have a staff of pastors that think it can be done. Because trust me, there's been plenty of reason for us to fold up and quit. I remember the days when emails would come in and say, why do y'all have a church here? Why don't you just leave? That's pretty much a quote. Why don't you pack it up and leave? Nobody wants to see another church. We really got emails like that. Really had conversations like that. But church, it's our job to carry the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the rest of the world and beyond. Amen? That's what it's all about. Today I want to share a few things with you. First, I want to share with you Paul's cultural mission field. Paul's cultural mission field. Look in verse 2. The Bible says, as was his custom. I'm going to stop right there. As was his custom. Now, that may not make much sense to you, but I want to break down what that says. As was his custom. This meant this was something that Paul did on a daily basis on a routinely basis. Every time he got somewhere, he did the same thing. It says, as was his custom. First thing Paul had was a consuming motivation. A consuming motivation. Hey, 
When you're, motiv- when you're consumed by motivation, you're going to follow through with what you've been consumed by. Amen? Hey, you can only have a consuming motivation if you had a burdened heart. Church, our job is to have a burdened heart for the lost. Let me put this into perspective for you. The numbers say 30% of the people that are sitting in this room right now aren't saved. In the average church, 30% of the people that attend that church are lost. The person sitting beside you could be lost. There's a 30% chance that person could be lost. Do you have a burden for them? Do you have a burden for your coworkers that are lost? I know we got some students here. How about your, your classmates? How about the people you share the same roof with? Got quiet, Matt. Do you have a consuming motivation to take the gospel to those that need it most? Paul did. He went right into a powder keg. Right into a place where the majority of the people did not believe the way he did. And he took the gospel there and he took it boldly. He had a consuming motivation. At Vintage, our mission field is Randleman. It is Randleman. And I pray that nothing ever changes our motivation to take the gospel to every single person here in Randleman. And once everybody here has heard it, we go to the next town. To everybody in Randolph County, to everybody in North Carolina, to everybody in the nation and the world, and so on and so forth. Because that's what we're called to do. Secondly, Paul knew God's truth. Look at the rest of verse 2. It says, as was his custom, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Paul knew God's truth. You want to know why the majority of people don't share the good news with the lost? Because they don't know God's Word. You want to know why they don't know God's Word? Because they don't read God's Word. They don't read God's Word. Let me tell you something. I don't care how many podcasts you listen to. I don't care how many sermons you sit in front of. If you don't crack open the Word of God and study it and read it and know it, you're going to come up short every single time. I'm not knocking technology. Podcasts are great. I think that's a great accompanying tool. But at the end of the day, you've got to crack open the Word of God. You see, it's not, it's not your friend's gospel. It's not your mama's gospel. It's not Matt Smith's gospel or Casey Harris's gospel or Vintage's gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way to know it is to crack it open and start to read it. Meditate on it. Paul knew God's truth. Next, Paul was indwelt by God's Spirit. Look at verse 3. As was his custom, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. You can't explain and prove something that you don't understand for yourself. Church, listen to me. You you will never share the gospel 
unless you've experienced it for yourself. So I like green olives. That's weird, isn't it? I love green olives. And last week, I had a jar of olives, and I was eating some, and Tilly and Tessa were standing there in the hallway, and Tilly said, what you eating? I said, green olive. She said, is it good? I said, try one. And so I handed one to her, and she looked at it, inspected it. And I told her, I said, hey, now, be careful what your next move is because your sister's watching everything you do. And I don't want her not to like something because you're too afraid to try it. And she says, is it good? I said, you've already asked me that once. Put it in your mouth and find out. And so Tessa said, I want one, I want one. So I gave her one too. And there in our hallway, two children, one seven, one four, holding a green olive, staring at it like it's a third head. I said, you can't taste it through your fingers. Got to put it in your mouth. And Tessa goes, Tilly, you go first. And Tilly looked at me. I said, you got to. You're the older one. And so she opened her mouth. She stuck it in her mouth. And she started chewing it up. And she made a beeline for the trash can and began to throw it up. And that ain't even the funny part. The funny part was watching Tessa. She still held that olive. She stared at it. And then she looked at Tilly. And she looked back at the olive. Back at Tilly. At the olive. And then at me. And she said this. Daddy, my belly hurts. <laughs> so now I got one kid that doesn't like olives because she doesn't think they taste good, and another kid that doesn't like olives because her sister said they don't taste good. Out of both of them, only one experienced what olives taste like. The other one just thinks they know. Church, listen to me. The only way you can explain and prove anything is that you've experienced it for yourself. Paul explained the scriptures. He proved that Jesus was the Messiah because he had been changed by the, an encounter with the Messiah. Lastly, probably the most important, you had Paul's consuming motivation. He knew God's truth. He was indwelt by God's spirit. And he was constrained by God's love. Church, everything we do has to be motivated by love. It has to be motivated by love. Look at verse 4. Paul says, This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. This Jesus, not that I'm telling you about, not that I'm mentioning to you about, but I am proclaiming to you that he is the Messiah. I proclaim something because it's out of necessity. There's a necessity there because I care about your future and where you spend eternity. Church, it doesn't matter how big our sanctuary is. 
It doesn't matter how many people darken our, our doors. It doesn't matter that we're moving to a new location and it's going to free up, set up, and tear down. None of that matters if we don't do it out of love. We must be motivated by love. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. I'm sure you all have heard that at a bunch of weddings. Matter of fact, the last couple of weddings I did, I, I read that because that's what the, the couples wanted. You know, it talks about love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It does not boastful. It's not proud. It's not puffed up. Love bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, right? You know, for the longest time, I always thought that was talking about love between a husband and a wife. But God smacked me upside the head not long ago. and I think that has more to do, less to do with spousal love and more to do with the way we lead the people we love. There are two fundamental laws to leadership. First off, leadership's not about you. To be a leader means to be selfless. You can't be selfish and be a good leader. You have to put others ahead of you. The second fundamental law of leadership Probably the most important. Leadership's not about being in charge of others. It's about caring about those in your charge. You can only care for them if you have empathy for them. You can only empathize with them if you love them. Church, listen to me. That chapter on love, it's about loving those we lead. Paul loved those he led because he loved them enough to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. The Great Commission puts a charge on us to go and to tell and to love. Nobody cares what we have to say till they know we care about them first. That's why at Vintage, it's invest, invite, influence. Invest comes first. People don't care how much you know, they know how much you care. Raise your hand if you are here today because somebody walked on your porch and smacked you in the face with the Bible and said, you need to get saved you're going to hell. If you're here today because of that. Raise your hand if you're here because somebody invited you to church. Enough said. Paul was a master at presenting the gospel within his mission field. Secondly, Paul had a cultural mission field. Secondly, he had a Christ-centered message. Look at verse 18. The Bible says, A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. I want to talk to you a minute about a little bit of the history. You had two major philosophies, other than Judaism, in this city of Thessalonica where Paul's preaching this message. You had the Epicureans. The Epicureans, this is what they believed. They believed God was far off, that God wouldn't begin to concern himself with human affairs. Today we would call them existentialists. Okay, Their, their sole pursuit in life was to find pleasure and happiness. Okay? Find pleasure and happiness. They believed that was the key to life. The other group of philosophers were known as the Stoics. They believed there was a God. 
They believed that God was in all living things. Today we call them pantheists. You believe God's in everything. However, their difference was they didn't care about happiness or pleasure. All they cared about was reason. They believed if you could use reason and logic, then you were just like the gods. Two opposite teams that are very different from the message that Paul was about to preach. But Paul walks up in the midst of them, and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, no matter who we are, no matter what the name of this place is, no matter who leads this church, our message has to be the same. It's got to be Christ-centered. Hey, the Bible is made up of 66 books, and it doesn't matter what book, what chapter, what verse you start in, as long as you end up at the foot of the cross, Jesus will be glorified. Amen? Our message has to be Christ-centered. Church, what's your message? What message are we sending? My prayer is that it's Christ-centered. Paul's Christ-centered message. Next, Paul's communication method. Paul's communication method. I want to break down how Paul was able to communicate with people that believed so differently than he did. First, through general observation. Look at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Picture this. Paul's standing there. And he's looking into the city. He's about to go in and preach. And all he sees are these statues and temples dedicated to these foreign gods. He makes a general observation. Church, if we're going to be effective and share the good news, we have to be aware of our surroundings. We have to be aware of our surroundings. Let me put this in perspective. I'm a principal, and I love my job. And and my job is to lead teachers as well as students. And sometimes (laughs) it's a lot easier to lead the students. But whenever there's a student in my office because they've gotten in trouble or whatever the case may be, I have to be aware of my surroundings. Because, you know, my, my number one goal is not to just correct that behavior, but I want to instill something in them that will help whether that young man or young lady going to be an unbelievable man or woman in society. I think about those teachable moments and how that will make them a better husband or wife, a better mother or father. Can I tell you something, church? It's never too early to be thinking about those things. Paul is on the outskirts of the city, and he sees what he's about to go into. He makes a general observation, and he goes in, and he's about to share with them a better way. The second thing he does, he has religious conversation. Look in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Not only did he preach in the synagogues, but he went to the marketplace, probably the second most abundant place where there was people, and shared Jesus with whoever would listen. How cool is that? Paul just wanted to share the good news. Next, he had intellectual comprehension. Look in verse 28. The Bible says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, 
We are his offspring. We just talked about if we're ever going to share God, we've got to know what God's Word says. Paul not only knew what God's Word said, he also knew the beliefs of the people he was preaching to. Got to be aware of those things so we can have an intellectual conversation. Next, Paul was willing to, be, to have appointed confrontation. Look in verse 23. For as I walked around, this is Paul talking, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. I love Paul. Paul had guts. Okay? He had guts. He went into the synagogue. Now imagine, imagine Matt coming in here and saying, hey, point number one, y'all are ignorant. Point number two, you're stupid. How many of y'all going to sit for that? Paul walks in and says, hey, y'all need to understand something. Y'all got so many gods out here to all these different things that you wanted to cover your bases, and you even made an altar, and on on it it says to the unknown God, just so we make sure we got everybody covered. He said, you're so ignorant, you've made a God to something you don't even know what you're worshiping. But don't worry, I'm here. I'm going to proclaim the true God to you. Church, that's awesome. That's awesome. What boldness. He was willing to have appointed confrontation. You know, Matt, Matt shared something about our first salvation. Let me tell you why that happened. I'd love to be able to tell you that I boldly stuck my chest out and said, hey, for all of you who are lost and would love to hear the gospel, meet me on the 50-yard line. That's not how it happened. It was at the end of practice. And we prayed, and we got done, and we were walking back to the locker room just like we did every other day. And this young man sticks his hand on my shoulder. He says, Coach, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, man. What's up? To be honest with you, I didn't think he would speak to me again because I ripped his face off during practice. Okay? I could not get him to step with the right foot. I, I almost body slammed him. It was crazy. He said, can I, put, can I talk to you? Coach, and I said, yeah, and I thought he was going to apologize, tell me he was going to get better. He said, Coach, uh, I need God in my life. And I said, we all do, brother. He said, no, I, he said, I've never been saved. I know I need it, but I don't know how to get it. I said, he goes, you think you can come pick me up and take me to church so I can get saved on Sunday? This was like on a Tuesday. I said, brother, you ain't got to wait till Sunday. You don't need a church to get saved. Amen? A lot of y'all think you do, but you don't. And so we were walking into the locker room, and we walked by the football field, and I thought, hey, man, how cool would that be? We hadn't even played our first game yet. So we walked down on the 50-yard line, and I said, man, you want to accept Christ, let's do it right here. Let's do it now. And that young man prayed one of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard. I didn't even say a word. He said, Lord, I I don't know how how to get you. I just know I need you. Would you save me? You know, some people think it's this elaborate prayer. God doesn't care how elaborate you are. He cares about how obedient you are. 
I'm telling you that story because people are desperate for the truth. People, Matt says all the time, we're born with a God-shaped hole in our heart. And we try to fill it with all kinds of stuff. Lust, greed, money, fame, power. But nothing will fit. Only God. Only Jesus. Paul was a master at the gospel presentation. I'm going to read you seven verses I think are one of the most masterful sermons in the Word of God. Listen to this, starting at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself everyone, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. That's the gospel from Adam to Jesus right there. Paul presented the gospel. In that seven verses, he presented God is the creator, God is the ruler, God is the giver, God is the controller, and God as the revealer, all in one sermon. Lastly, Paul gave a personal invitation. Look in verse 34. The Bible says, Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Church, listen to me. The gospel never returns void. Just because you share it and that person doesn't immediately accept it doesn't mean that God's word has returned void. You've planted a seed. That's all you're called to do is plant the seed. The Bible tells us God gives the increase. He causes it to grow. Our goal is to be obedient and plant the seed. Paul had a cultural mission field. He had a Christ-centered message. He had a communication method. And lastly, we have a commission and a mandate. A commission and a mandate. There are two things that we have to do. First, we have to be certain of what we believe. Romans 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. You want to know why Paul was able to do some of the miraculous things he did? Because he believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the power of God. You have to be certain of what you believe. 
You'll never share anything with anybody that you don't believe first yourself. Secondly, we need to be aware of what others believe. You need to be aware of what others believe. You have to engage people through conversation, through relationships, to find out where they are. Otherwise, how do we know if they're lost? How do we know if they're saved? I want to ask you a question. What conversations are you having? What relationships are you engaged in? Are they conversations and relationships where you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if not, then, then one of two things are true. First, either you're lost yourself. You can't share what you, we've never experienced. Or the second one is you're disobedient. Because God's word is very specific. Changed people change people. And you're here today, and you got a choice to make. You can leave here the same way you showed up, or you can leave here differently. That change is up to you. That's a beautiful thing about Christianity. God doesn't browbeat us. He's not a used car salesman to haggle us for a better deal. He simply has done it, and it's freely offered to us. I want to read one last passage of Scripture. This won't be on the screen. But Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So that people are without excuse. At some point, we will all stand before God and give an account for our life. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you the truth. And we all will spend eternity somewhere. That path is determined by whether or not we've trusted Jesus with our life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't take time to do this. The Bible's very clear. If we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Bible says he will save us. That's not some elaborate prayer. That doesn't have to happen in a church. It can happen on a 50-yard line. It can happen right there in your seat. But make no mistake, there are no excuses. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Casey, I, 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 I've been saved. I've just, not, I've just not been obedient. Hey, it's never too late. Trust me, I had to preach this message to me before I could ever preach it to you. It's never too late. Work can be done here. Cry out to God. Confess that sin. Ask God to manifest himself in your life and to put people in front of you to share the gospel with. 
Hey, nobody's here to judge you. Nobody's even looking. Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. If you prayed a prayer to receive Jesus, would you just lift your hand up? Nobody's looking but me, and I'm just going to pray for you. Just lift your hand up. Amen. 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 No excuses. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here and you say, hey, Casey, I'm saved. But tomorrow's going to look a lot different than today did. Would you lift your hand up? Amen. I just want to pray for you. Amen. 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 God, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you're doing. God, thank you most of all for loving us enough to send Jesus. God, I thank you for these folk, and I just lift them up. God, for every decision that was made today, whether it was to, for the first time to seek you out as Lord and Savior, or whether it was a, a rededication or trying to get back on the right path, God, we, we praise you for both of those. God, I ask, Lord, that you be with everyone here. God, that you help us just to draw closer to you in all that we say and all that we do, God. And I thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.